Welcome to your new favorite podcast, OMLS, with your host, Aryaman Varma. Here, Aryaman chats with religious leaders, economists, and modern philosophers to help shine a light on the dark corners of economics and religion. So, without any further ado, let's kick off this episode. Hello, everybody. In this episode of OMLAS, we will be discussing the importance of business ethics in everyday life and the role of companies in achieving this. Helping us understand this, I present a theology professor who has taught me and greatly influenced my thinking at Eton College, who is also the senior chaplain of the school, Reverend Dr. Arthur Kiefer. Just quickly, before we get into the questions, uh, would you mind just telling everyone a little bit about yourself? Yeah, so um, I'm a teacher and one of the chaplains uh, on a team of chaplains at Eton. Uh, My background is in Christian theology, biblical studies, uh, but my first degree was actually in international business and international studies. And so uh, I've got a strong interest in business and some kind of hobby style involvement in that too. Right, perfect. So to get started... What is the definition of business ethics and why is it important? Well, if we just take the two words, so business and ethics, we can think about basically people or companies who are uh, buying and selling goods or services. So it's a kind of pretty traditional basic definition of business. And ethics as the study of and even pursuit of what uh, people ought to do. Uh, and also maybe what they ought to be. So we can think about ethics in terms of guidance for uh, what people ought to, how people ought to act and uh, maybe who they ought to be. And, and that, of course, extends then to institutions that are made up of people. So really, uh, it's the guidance of ought for uh, institutions that are conducting business, I think. Right. And what is the importance um, of business ethics uh, in the modern world? Yeah, well, businesses, they clearly involve people. Uh, and right. so ethics is really a personal thing. We can't really talk about the ethics of what a tree should do, right? There'd be. So this, this involves people, and at its core, it is a set of relationships, really, um, with, with other things kind of added in. Um, it's an integral part of life and society. If we start thinking about what includes a business and life and society. I mean, you can't get very far at all uh, without bumping into business. I'd say it's got widespread implications for that same reason. And um, I think businesses can be prone to vices. I mean, we're all prone to, you know, to not meet what we ought to do or even our own aspirations. Sure. But I think in business particularly, there are some clear uh, pitfalls that are easy to to fall into. And with regards to businesses, um, what are the most common ethical dilemmas um, faced by businesses today? Well, one would be legal. I mean, that that in some ways in the news, that's a a pretty obvious one. And businesses do most of the time have to adhere to a certain set of laws and standards and things like that. So that doesn't mean it's a dilemma. It doesn't mean it's difficult or, you know, people talk about moral dilemmas as two bad options that you've got to choose between. But if we think about more broadly, just kind of moral challenges and, and struggles that, that a company might face, well, uh, they've really got to deal with governments and laws and, and so on. And so uh, I'm thinking of examples where maybe a business internally and otherwise is very upstanding. Uh, or, or, or we would just kind of say is, is ethically on, on track uh, right. and yet they 
might be breaking several mm. laws that don't necessarily harm the company, don't necessarily harm their sure. their uh, clients and so on. Uh, but and everything else might seem fine. But the legal aspect is a really important one. Sure. And with the legal aspect, um, do you think that, I mean, the main purpose of businesses is obviously to make profit. But do you think beyond the law, um, businesses should have some sort of duty uh, to really make sure that what they do, uh, even if it it is legal, uh, should they go beyond the legal line and sort of make take their own initiative to be ethical? Yeah, I do. I think so. Uh, I mean, they're also, you know, because they're going to deal with uh, legal stuff, but they, they've also got their own employees. They, they, they're in relationships with, with people. And different people will have different grounds on which they would say, yeah, you should extend the ethical domain beyond just the legal uh, and incorporate other things, whether it be people well beyond the business itself or uh, the environment and so on. And we can, you know, talk about a, a couple of those things in particular cases. Uh, but I do, and I think from the standpoint of Christian theology and many religious theologies, uh, you really do get some grounds for things that go beyond the law, whether it's business or not, in terms of how you should treat people. And with religion, um, I was going to ask, how does a company's culture, and uh, we can sort of extend that to religion, um, affect its ethical behavior? For example, would a, a business who has a Christian CEO, for example, um, have more of a intention to make sure their business is ethical or like how does the culture and religion impact? It's, it's a great question and it, it's a tough one it's a tough one to answer really. Um, I mean I think on the on the one hand you can think well there's not there doesn't have to be much of a, a, a connection and so take for example some of the, the well-known consulting firms in, in London. Um, kind of strategy consulting firms. You know, these have different reputations and, and company cultures. So some are known for fun and, and younger people really enjoy working there. They go out for drinks or whatever afterwards and so on. Other places are, you know, laced up, serious, work only, in work hours. Uh, I mean, neither of those are necessarily wrong. Like those are two fairly neutral company cultures in different ways. But I, and you might think, well, that does that really make a difference going out for drinks, going on some extra kind of, business bonding, uh, business bonding trips and so on. But, you know, I think that stuff does trickle down, uh, even if it doesn't make an eth, but it might, it might make an ethical difference. I think eventually some of those things start to connect, but on the other hand, it makes an absolute difference for the ethical behavior. And your comment is, is, uh, right along the right track in terms of the leader setting the tone for so much of the company, any institution, I think that goes for a church, uh, business, uh, school, whatever it is, but um, a leadership can really define what's going on and set the kind of norms and standards and expectations uh, for, for the rest of the company. Sure, and with companies and businesses, um, they often talk about business ethics, um, but sometimes it is a marketing gimmick. So how can companies, um, and even the sort of public therefore believe it, but how can companies ensure ethical decision-making um, throughout their organization? Mm. You know, I, I don't know so much about the, the kind of ethical outcomes of a company like Netflix, but they, they are known for having um, a, a really strong and clear company culture. So right. they, they talk about being um, people-first approaches. They take people-first approach, um, I think people over process is one of the phrases that they use. And, 
you know, that, that is going to start to make a difference. But I think what you see there is they've got a clear set of values and goals. They're saying, this is, this is what we want to achieve and this is how we want to achieve it. In a way, they're saying the how is more important almost than the what. We're going to prioritize these teams, these people. And from that, I'm sure, you know, different goals arise. So I think there's an element to saying, what are the values and goals and things you want to uphold at, at this company and, and its culture? Sure, um, and you mentioned Netflix, um, and obviously a very successful company. So I was thinking, would you therefore say that good ethics is good business? Is good ethics uh, good business? I, I think they're, well, I think yes is my short, is my short answer. And, and I, I certainly think there's a, a connection there, especially maybe over the long term. There's, there's a few things to say really and, and to answer it. I think one, I'll, I'll come back to this probably again and again, but the idea that honesty as a fundamental ethical value in business is something that really shouldn't be underestimated. If a business is being honest about what it does, what it offers, then people know what they're getting. They know what they're dealing with. And I suspect, I suspect dishonesty is one of the biggest temptations for, uh, ethical temptations in, in, in business. I mean, I, I could point to some different, there's, there's a study, for example, that took about five years worth of studies, uh, and examined over a thousand of these, uh, cases about the kind of environmental, social and governance priorities that companies have been focusing on. And the number one finding was that um, there is improved financial performance often linked, linked with these, these right. other ethical priorities. And it often takes a longer time to, to be, to materialize and to be realized. Okay, sure. So often people think, ah, oh, so if a company really cleans up its act and is quote ethical for a, a year, you know, is, is, is the next year going to see a, a bigger mm-hmm. profit? I don't know about that, but I think there's something that has to do with long, the, the long-term view, the trustworthiness and the honesty of a, of a business. Right. So how would you um, sort of suggest a company would kind of deal with the long-term um, like being very patient uh, and waiting um, for the returns by being ethical. It's- yeah, it, I mean, it just would take some some patience. And there you yeah. get into maybe the third, if you think about kind of rule-based ethics, if you think about kind of consequential-based ethics, and then if you think about uh, virtue-based ethics, that's where that really comes into play. Are the people, you know, patient enough and do they have the kind of personal moral qualities themselves to to work through and towards something like that. Sure. Um, how does globalization um, impact the ethics of businesses operating internationally? This is an ongoing kind of issue right now, I think. I think people, obviously we, we've come from decades of expanding globalization. And as you may be aware now, certain people are kind of saying, should we rein that, not that you can necessarily rein it back in, right, but, yeah. but should we focus maybe on local industry, local priorities and so on. So it, it can be a, it can be a real tension. It, it affects things pretty profoundly for some. I mean, I think there is this, I mean, there's absolutely an element of responsibility that businesses then have for the areas that they're working in and located in, especially if you're going to be, you know, employing people internationally and, and working in places internationally. Uh, it might be a bit different for someone who's offering a product that Sure. It's just, you know, based in one nation and then goes out all over the place. But um, 
Christian theology talks about, um, well, the theology of mission. So what missionaries do when they go to another place, right? And right. try to help people and spread their religion, whatever that may be. And there's language of what's called hosts and guests. And so missionaries have often, well, they've often gotten it wrong, but when they've gotten <laughs> it right, I think they, they adopt the mindset of a guest. They are being hosted. They're in a host country in a host community right and they're the guests and so they uh yeah that that dictates what they wear what they speak how they act and operate and so on yeah Um, i think that's quite a good way of looking at it so essentially they are the guests of the country that they're in therefore they should act like the guests um no that's very interesting but i remember you mentioned earlier about honesty uh within a company and i was going to sort of push the boundaries here and ask at what point um, how much should a company sort of tell the public you know should they tell everything about their company Mm. or whatever they say should it be honest so at what point does the line sort of draw yeah I mean it's the it's exactly the question that I have actually this this issue of transparency right that's what people are calling calling this stuff transparency how transparent should companies be which um you know, I don't really know. Obviously, there, there are, again, as you know, certain laws for certain types of companies that they're required to release a fair amount of, of information. I think, yeah, I don't know what should be the case. I think if you, you know, if you think about it like a, well, politicians face a similar kind of kind of thing. Sure. How much are they going to tell the public to make an informed decision on, on voting for them? But right. I, don't, I don't really have a nice, a nice answer to that. I, I'm uncomfortable with saying, Everything that goes yeah. on behind a business's you know closed doors has to be released to the public. I don't. I think that's sure. Yeah. That's yeah again, personally but, for me, um, I would sort of say whatever the company gives out, as long as that's honest, um, then sure they're being mm-hmm. businessly they're being ethical yeah. uh, with how they're going about things. Uh, and what role um, does corporate social responsibility play in business ethics? Yeah, that co- corporate social responsibility, some people would say this is a bit outdated and that's not the big thing anymore. And I, in a way, that's probably right. So CSR really kind of just laid bare the different parties involved within a business's field of influence, right? So from the employees to its leadership to investors to like, you know, future generations that might be affected by the choices of this business. So. It's really gotten honed in now to these priorities of what's called ESG, um, environmental, social, and governance, which we, we talked about. And yeah, that, that's a bit more prominent. There are some requirements for reporting those things. So greenhouse gas emissions, deforestation, um, executive compensation, different, different things like that. So these play a huge, I mean, the, the short answer, yeah, these play a, a huge role in things now. Right. And you mentioned honesty. Um, I'm just going back to this again. Mm. You mentioned honesty as being a very big part of... Uh, business ethics, but what role does sustainability have uh, in business? Are you know should companies have a responsibility to reduce environmental impacts? Uh, is that a major uh, thing that they should consider? Yeah, I do think it's a major thing to consider. I know it's really it is really contentious, and you know it, you'd have to take some things case. And there obviously there are companies for which it's an enormous part of, of their effect and influence and, and things like that. I, so, yeah, it, it, it's really important. Uh, again, are there certain companies that might, not, that might not have much influence on the environment, for example, and sustainability that 
maybe should be not exempt, but just not have to worry about it that much. Sure. Like that's probably fair to say, I think, as opposed to saying we're going to make an issue out of it, even though right. in, in reality they're demonstrably not. And how um, would businesses sort of strike a balance um, between obviously maximizing profits, um, but as well as being um, sustainable and um, ethically sort of correct? Mm. Part of the answer might have to do actually with some of the debates that are going on. Like there's, there's place for businesses to say, we want to maximize profits. You know, yeah, we want to care about the environment, but they might need some pushback from the government, from the populace and so on and things like that. So I think the kind of sometimes what we see is like, you know, sometimes uh, severe disagreements or lack of kind of coherence or just clashing ideologies Sometimes that's a sign of health, really, that, that, that society and a culture at large is, is moving towards a place where kind of everyone involved might, might learn and get to a better, a better end. Sure. Um, and if a company were um, to engage in unethical behavior, uh, what should the consequences um, be? Well, I, I think there are three main consequences for what they actually are. So, again, you've got the legal bit. That, that's right. going to happen. Uh, you've got reputational damage. So if they don't break the law, but they're, you know, doing something unethical uh, to some people's eyes, that that would damage their reputation, and you get some financial um, financial consequences to to this. So you know, a reputational one. Uh, the current famous case would be um, the Weinstein Company. I mean, you know, now I've talked to several people who sit down to watch a movie. Weinstein company right, just comes yeah. up on the screen they look at each other and say should we watch this now so <laughs> that, that's, that's, that becomes a bit of a, a dilemma for some people I mean uh, plenty of examples of people going to prison for unethical behavior in the, in the legal right. sphere and you can I mean again this idea of honesty and trustworthy if a company is shown to be untrustworthy there are there are cases where that doesn't affect you know people seem, don't seem to care but, but sometimes people do care and then there's obviously just cases of fines you know people doing something unethical and just facing financial consequences, all of which might, any of those, could cause a company to completely collapse right, eventually. Yeah. And you mentioned um, the public and how whether, whether or not they might care or not. So would, do you think it has a massive effect on the public if uh, a company is being run uh, ethically or not, as they might not know? Um, is, that, is that okay? The question is, will unethical businesses really have an effect on the on the public? Like, exactly. will they really? Yeah. I mean, I think in, I think yeah, sure. And sometimes I think in other cases it, it really isn't. So it depends on maybe how much the an individual, is doing something unethical. And how that individual is then related to the company. If that person's just basically, extracted from the company then I think people have a bit of a difference or a divorce in their mind. I think you get bigger companies, maybe like Amazon, which have had, you know, over and over again, different kind of legal battles and, and confrontations with their own employees and kind of unions forming and rising up and, and, and things like that. And that I think those more longer term, broader impressions might start to, to wear away on people at, at some point. Sure. And with um, obviously the modern society, there's a lot of advertising. So with the advertising, what would a utilitarian um, say would be the best thing? Because if someone received a product that's been using it for a lot of time, loads of people are using this product, 
Um, then to find out that what they've been using is actually a con uh, and it's false advertising, is that really maximizing uh, the greatest good for the greatest number? No, I don't, I don't think it is. And I think this is where you get, I think eventually when the whole system fits together, this is where honesty comes into play, becomes a really strong value because if people know what they're getting and what they're getting actually is good, they'll be satisfied with that, the company will prosper and so on. Obviously that links up with elements of competition and, and different things like that. But yeah, advertising, honesty and advertising, I mean, that, that's, that's, that's an ethical dilemma all, all, all its own really. Right, and Nestle um, had an incident with their baby milk where they essentially greenwashed uh, and lied uh, about the contents of the milk. And obviously Nestle has a lot of consumers. So in that instance, do you think it's beneficial to most people that you know if it was found out and then released uh, or mentally for the public would be better to, mm. for that information to have just been kept quiet? Yeah, I see what you mean. I mean, there is... A case could definitely be made to say if Nestle is providing, is it lying about what they're providing mm-hmm. in terms of the actual product itself and what people are paying for, and there's a larger element that they've maybe fabricated. I disagree. I, I like personally disagree with that, but I think that is a diff. That case could be treated differently than say, you know they just straight up lied about this baby formula, what it actually was and what it did for people, and it was as good as drinking you know, normal milk or something like that. Sure, and uh, more personally for you, uh, what sort of ethical dilemmas have you come across? Mm. This is, um, so I think this is where, it's interesting, my kind of, the idea of the priorities, how money is treated within the Christian tradition and in the Bible particularly really become clear. I mean, it... (laughs) Like Jesus is going to teach about the dangers of money. So he's not going to say money is, is bad necessarily, but, but it's really clear in the New Testament that money is a danger and a temptation and the greed with which people would want to hold on to that. And it becomes a particular focus of, of idolatry. So almost replacing God and becoming an object of worship itself. And so I think for most people that can become, when money starts dictating decisions in a way that right. with more power than say... God or something like that would 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 dictate. Then you 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 bump into a real issue. And and sure, on a personal level, that can be a, that that can be a reality. Having to make those choices and 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 so on. Sure. And with uh, Christianity, uh, what is the Christian standpoint on money? Is there a limit mm-hmm. to the amount of money a Christian can make, or a certain um, wage? Does a Christian have to donate a certain percent of their wage? What's the Christian? Yeah. Viewpoint. So I think the core, I think some core truths are money can be a, a real danger. So Christ is really clear about warning, not saying, you know, he doesn't say don't have money or, or give away all your money or don't try to earn it. But he's just saying you better watch out for this. Um, there's obviously a priority on generosity. I think there's a, there tends to be a, um, a traditional standard of giving away 10% of your income as Christians. And I know lots of Christians that would, that would do that by that practice. Uh, now on the ground, you're going to get you're going to get Christians themselves doing all different kinds of things. You're going to get some saying, "The more money you have, the better," and it's a, it's an obvious sign of blessing from God. Right. You're going to get people who say, "I don't think Christians should even invest, should buy any stocks, mm-hmm. <laughs> or invest their money at all. This sure. is just this is earthly stuff, uh, you know, that that the Lord has given and the Lord will take away from dust to dust. That kind of attitude, right? And it's it's a non it's a non thing." Um, 
I would find some some area in between of, of <laughs> basically saying that there's that there's stewardship that God has enabled. So I don't think it's necess- I don't think it's a bad thing for Christians to be rich. I don't see that and think they're doing something wrong. Sure. I think that that happens pl- plenty and in, in, in it's okay. You um you mentioned blessings and um, I'm just gonna obviously just refer to a very famous um, passage, but it's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter heaven. So would, in the modern world, what, what would a Christian sort of say, what would you say um, about money as a blessing or a um, sort of, not a blessing because it's difficult to enter heaven. Mm-hmm. Um, so what's the view there? Yeah, I would ask someone, do they see that money as a gift from God? And so do they, do they see it as something that, as their own or something that God has provided for them? to use and do good for other people. Basically to carry out, are they, are they using it to carry out the command to love their neighbor as themselves, right? right. And so, or, and are they taking responsibility and stewarding it well? Because you can have people who might say, well, yeah, I'm not gonna, and, and God doesn't want me to invest my money, but I can just spend it on whatever I want, right? right. I'd be okay, almost sure. like frivolous with it. I don't think that's right either. So, um, and there's an undeniable, well, there's, there's a struggle to life with, without money, but there, there's, an, there's an undeniable richness, I think, yeah. often to people who aren't worried about money and preoccupied with it and sure. aren't even, some would say, burdened with having a lot of it um, that, that provides certain levels of, of joy and, and, and worship that um, is quite exceptional, really. So let's say, um, hypothetically, that someone is sort of filled with the greed for money, uh, as I'm sure there are people in the world um, who have that. Mm. How would a Christian sort of recommend to that person to get rid of their greed? Like, would it be through prayer or would it be through? Yeah, good question. The, the, the core of the Christian ethic begins with uh, really a change of heart. So Christian theologians talk about it changing from the inside out. So this kind of what seems to be an inward desire of greed translating into outward actions and things like that would require a ch- basically a change of heart. And so, uh, and most Christian theologians would say this is a, you know, a supernatural act of God that changes the heart and produces what we call the fruits of the, of the spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. All of these things uh, are the things that are supposed to be kind of growing out of the Christian, not all at once, not overnight, sure. all that, you know, but that, that, that's the kind of, that's the kind of thing that comes with it. So it would probably be a slow process. I wouldn't expect that person to change overnight. Right. Uh, I think there would be elements of just kind of examining kind of themselves and their own kind of soul really. And um, yeah, I think there would be some practical kind of tips in terms of, um, you know, prayer or making a practice of trying to, you know, instilling some generosity and kind of making some change that way and so on. Uh, and what is the, Sort of the church, the church's viewpoint uh, on making money and having a lot of money. Um, like, what did, what would the Catholic Church say, for example? Well, you would, I guess, you would get differences between the kind of Protestant churches, right. Catholic Church, Pentecostal churches, and so on. You're going to get very different views. I don't actually, I can't recall what the Catholic Catechism is, would say, you know, directly about this. And I suspect you get a wide variety of views because, on the one hand, there's a a real, um, well, there's a lot of money in the Catholic Church on the one hand. Uh, on the other hand, there's a real value on kind of poverty and not having many things. And you're thinking of 
missionaries and monasteries and, and the kind of attitude to life like that. So I suspect you get quite the variety. And for you, um, would you say that someone living in poverty may be substantially happier than someone um, who has a lot of wealth? And obviously in modern society, it's very difficult um, to live and have a flourishing life without money. So how, I know this exists, where someone in poverty is more happy. So how do they kind of, how are they that happy with the little they have? It's a, it's a tough one to answer. I think, on the one hand, I think poverty can draw people to other sources of kind of comfort and sustenance. Sometimes that's just simply the community and, you know, right. families can be more tightly knit and, and relationships can be deeper. Uh, and some people would say the spiritual life of someone uh, who has less money is going to be, you know, the majority of times richer for that reason they're depend- they're drawing their dependence more on god than the kind of material security and comforts yeah right uh, and what what are some of the best practices in your opinion um for promoting um ethics in the workplace um well i think on the first place a few things i mentioned before the kind of values and goals set by a company there's room for accountability and enforcement of those things, right? So if, if no one's chasing someone up when they, you know, don't adhere to those values and so on, then I, then I think they become a little bit flimsy. We talked about honesty, leaders modeling this itself, you know, all those things, uh, I think, promote, uh, promote ethics in, in, in the workplace. And yeah, the only one, other one is then some, some level of transparency. So some level, and that's a, in a way, that's a form of kind of public accountability, I think. But um, I think all of those together would make a pretty nice set of, of things to promoting ethics in, in the workplace. But a lot of it, of course, turns on what are the values and the goals of, of, sure. of the company. And that's, that's a fundamental question. Uh, you mentioned how it's really calm ethics, business ethics should come from the leaders, uh, the people at the top and run down. But what is your view on the whistleblowing if the top of the company are actually involved uh, in the fraud, for example. Um, what would you say that that person who's lower down should do with the information he knows? Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I think that's a, a, a clear case of accountability that needs to be put, put to work, really, and that, that becomes something that's company-wide. So I think the leaders in general will do things that will influence, well, yeah, they will do things that will influence the company, and a lot of the people in the company will they just they just will respond to that. So I think if it's a if it's a good thing, hopefully they'll respond well to that. But but that I think that whistleblowing is a form of accountability within the company that often should be should be done. So would you say that whistleblowing should always be done, or would you say there are some cases um, where it should be where it shouldn't happen? So I would hope it could be dealt with internally. Like I would hope that that person could raise the the person kind of lower down the chain could raise. The, the issue, it doesn't go public, it's right, just yeah. dealt with internally, changes made, that's what I would want to see happen every time. And so, and I would hope that they would strive to do that. I think it's a responsibility on that person to, to, do, to do that. It's like dealing with your problems in the house, in, in the yeah. home, and then taking it out, you sure. know, that, that, that you don't want to do, be dealing with everything at a, at, a, at, a, at a big dinner or something like that um, in, in a restaurant. But yeah, something along those lines. So strive for the internal solution, and even the personal solution of, of 
consulting those people themselves uh, and then maybe as a kind of last resort having to go out. Yeah, and just to finish off, what would a um, Kantian and utilitarian say about whistleblowing um, and sort of opening up to the public and, you know, at what point would a Kantian and utilitarian say, no, we shouldn't whistleblow, we shouldn't let this go out to the public, it'll be damaging for more people? And that's that's really the kicker question. This move to go out is is a, is a last resort because it's it you know it, there might be two people of a you know a thousand person company that are really doing right. wrong and causing the problems and and are you going to put at risk the entire the entire group and at times there's that's appropriate. Yeah, I mean the content's going to prioritize. Well, the, the content. This is also the critique of of Kant that you could find a whole number of qualified situations in which you should always whistleblow, right? right? So if all these conditions are met, and so you have to follow that that chain. But there is going to be this priority on honesty, which again doesn't necessarily translate exactly into transparency, which is a part of whistleblowing. But yeah, and the utilitarian is really going to weigh up that cost, right? Just to, to say, what is the likely out outcome of going public with with this and is it is it going to do more harm or more good and i'm sure you could you could you could argue um both ways yeah consequentially both ways and um sorry just one more just to finish off um are there laws uh in the uk uh to protect whistleblowers within companies uh yeah there are so so there are laws in the in the uk and law and well maybe not law but kind of guidelines particularly for particular organizations. So most organizations will have their own kind of whistleblowing policy. To protect the whistleblower. Yeah, exactly. All right. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for spending time with me today. And for more information about the Omelas podcast, please feel free to visit the website omelas.podbean.com, where you can also ask questions and post reviews and comments. Thanks once again to everyone listening, and a huge thank you to Reverend Dr. Kiefer, whose insights have been wonderful. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of the Omelas podcast. If you're enjoying the show, please feel free to rate, subscribe, and leave a review wherever you listen to your podcasts. That helps others find the show, and we greatly appreciate it. Once again, thank you for listening, and we'll catch you in the next episode.